All gas, no brake. And now we have liftoff. Welcome into the Now We Have Liftoff New York Jets podcast. And of course, I'm your host, John June. And of course, you obviously know my guy to my left, Frank Jim Piccolo. And then you're probably wondering who this guy below us is. But we'll get into that in, in a minute. Frank, how are we doing today, brother? Doing okay, man. A little sad the Jets weren't on this past uh, weekend, but you know. What are you going to do? It's part of the process, I guess. Hey, well, if you don't have high expectations, then you can't be disappointed. So there's there's that. Uh, so obviously, Coach Boris is here with us. Uh, Frank, why don't you intro Coach Boris in, uh, since you're the one well most well-connected to Coach Boris. So this is this was my high school – Offensive line, head coach, offensive coordinator, pretty much defensive coordinator, pretty much all around. Coach, why don't uh, you let our listeners know where they could find you, a little bit about yourself before oh, yeah. we start sure. breaking down the Jets. You know, you can uh, – I'm on uh, Facebook, and you can email me at uh, steve.boris at, uh, at Gmail. And uh, I coach Frankie. Um, years ago at Sleepy Hollow High School, and uh, he was our center and middle linebacker there, and he had a, an amazing career for us. And uh, I didn't know he was a, a broadcaster like he is right now. Okay, and uh, he's got this uh, beautiful face that we can see now on uh, on the big screen. Sounds good. Sounds good. John, you ready to get into this uh, offensive year that we had? Yeah, man. I mean, not quite the uh, the year we were hoping for from our beloved uh, New York Jets. They finished pretty much almost last in in every uh, major statistical major statistical category. Um, I mean. 30 or 28th in in total points uh or 28th in total yards rather uh near the le- near the bottom of the league in total points um yeah 28th in points as well it just wasn't a great season there for uh for the jets offensively and i mean you kind of expected that when you when you understand they're dealing with a rookie quarterback there uh you you know have a a first-time offensive coordinator. There's a lot of growing pains that this offense had to overcome. Uh, but when you look at it as a whole, I mean, it starts obviously uh, with coaching uh, and, and Mike LaFleur. I mean, he definitely took his lumps to start the year. Uh, but as the year progressed, he was much, much better uh, in terms of being able to set up counter punches, uh, which is something that we had talked about earlier in the year, his not being able to adjust. And, and we saw that, that he he had an adjustment and then he was able to build on that by having an adjustment to the adjustment that he was, you know, anticipating by the defense. So, you know, I, f- I think it was a fantastic maturation process of just the offensive coordinator and of himself uh, in Michael Floor. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think that's the most important aspect for a coach is to be able to counterpunch. You know, football is the ultimate chess game. You know, you're trying to set up guys for set up the other team for later on in the game. And you kind of saw that later on in the year with, you know, the fake end arounds and the hook and ladder that they ran. Um, but, you know, I don't think Mike LaFleur is long to be the offensive coordinator for the Jets, I think eventually he's going to get that call to be a head coach in this league. You, you just see it very early with him. You think he's ready yeah, for I mean, head coach I, already? Oh, wow. I, 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 I want to slow the, like, you know, pump the brakes a little bit, right? Like we, like, like we get so caught up in, 
in offensive play callers and defensive play callers, but there's so much more to being a head coach, right? I, I think that teams will come calling, right? But, um, you know, to whether he believes that he's ready or, you know, he he just became ready for, apparently to, you know, to uh, to be a, a coordinator, first-time coordinator at any level, right? So I think back to high school is the was the only time that he was uh, – he had called plays. So, like um, – there is, there has been some growth. There has been some maturation. I, I do want to continue to see it, but I do agree that Jet fans should feel nervous that sometime in the near future, there's a possibility, you know, you will see Michael Flores name pop up on an interview request. I mean, we've seen Kellen Moore after three successful years in Dallas. I mean, obviously the offense has been much better. Uh, right. So I think, if the Jets can get into those top 12, right, you know, that the top 12 of NFL offenses, then teams will definitely start calling. But like we said before he, he left right, or before he was hired or when he was hired, rather, Robert Sala didn't bring in a coordinator. He brought in a system, right? He brought in the Kyle Shanahan, Mike Shanahan, West Coast offense. So like we said back then, the – League is littered with these assistants. You can go look all over. I mean, we've got, you know, three of them at least uh, playing uh, three Shanahan disciples. I mean, including Shanahan playing in the postseason right now when you look at the Niners, the Rams, and then the Bengals, right? So that's at least three right there. So there's assistants all over these rosters, all over these teams that can come in and, and fill that void if if need be. Without a doubt, I just I, I was just more talking about the way that the league is going right now. They're trying to bring in these head coaches that are young. Look, the the Giants uh, hired Joe Judge two years ago. Like, there's just so massive turnover with the league that you know they want want the best young Sean McVay, Kyle Shanahan, and I get I could see a team that's like the Chicago Bears, you know taking a leap of faith on a guy like Michael Fleur, especially when you look at what his brother was, is able to do in green Bay. Yeah. And I mean, coach, Bur coach Boris, I'm going to ask you, I mean, what do you, what do you think uh, are some of the challenges that an offensive coordinator might have coming into his first season with new personnel, with a rookie quarterback and, and what's that process like throughout the year from, from first game to, you know, the, to the end of the season? It's just about time. Uh, you got people, you know, especially you got, you got the new quarterback, new receivers. It's just going to take a while for all that to mesh. Um, it's, you know, when you, when you look at the great offenses and everything, they, they've been together, the receivers and the quarterback, they know what they're going to do beforehand. Um, especially with a rookie, right? You don't want to put him in a position where he's going to uh, get hurt, you know, and lose the game and hurt his confidence. Um, but at the same time, you don't want to be too conservative, right, and kind of hinder his development. Um, but from what I saw, I, you know, I, I think they were trending in the right direction by the end of the season. Would you guys agree that – that I think there were some positives, you know, they don't have any dynamic weapons around them. Right. And, um, but, but I, I, I like the evolution of the play call, especially the last game. I, you know, there were some, some questionable things. Um, but, but I thought there was some, uh, like that, that, uh, quarterback sneak right on what was it? Fourth and three, you know, but, um, I, I think they're going in the right direction. And even with that, you know, they were supposed to fake it, do a jet sweep and it was like a check. Um, that's part of the inexperience with play calling where you want to give them the best, uh, opportunity to be successful, but sometimes you overthink it, uh, in your, in your quest to have the perfect play, you know, just, just run a play, you know, you, you kind of outsmart yourself and that's just a sign of inexperience. I, God knows I've done that. I've outsmarted myself plenty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think, I think we all do every now and then, but. Uh, like like you all like we've all said right the the maturation process of Mike Lafleur throughout the year was definitely encouraging to see. I mean, Jet fans at one point even wanted him fired, right? I mean, I know I was here. I never called for him to get fired, but I definitely was calling for him to get better and and get better quick um, because I definitely was not happy with what we were seeing early on. But again, the the maturation process was awesome and. 
one of the things that one of the maturation processes that Jet fans were really interested in uh, and were very much hoping to see was that of rookie quarterback Zach Wilson. He was the number two pick, the number two overall pick in the NFL draft. Um, obviously, this was a draft class that was supposed to be very quarterback heavy. We had five guys go in the top 15. Um, you know, that's almost never happens in draft classes where you got five guys that go in that top 15 like that. Uh, and you had three of them go in the top three. Um, so when you really look at what, you know, when you look at across the NFL, the rookie quarterbacks as a whole didn't really have a great year outside of maybe Mac Jones in New England. And you look at his situation and you say his situation is probably the best of all the rookie quarterbacks. Um, but when you look at Zach Wilson's rookie year, 55.6 completion percentage, uh, only started 13 games, uh, 2,334 passing yards, 6.1 yards per attempt, nine touchdowns, 11 interceptions. Um, you know, the some positives, he was stuck on, you know, he's been stuck on that 11 interception number basically since week 13. Uh, he had, you know, uh, after basically starting the year with an interception in, in every single game, uh, obviously had the four interception game uh, against New England. Um, he had nine interceptions through his first force or 10 interceptions through his first five NFL games or nine interceptions through his first five NFL games, picked up another two, uh, you know, between week, week, week 12 and week 13, but for the rest of the year, didn't have another interception. So you saw that growth. Uh, you also saw him use his legs more down the stretch. Uh, we saw him be able to operate an offense a little bit better, right? Where at the beginning of the year, it was more about the splash plays. It was more about, you know, uh, breaking the pocket and making a, you know, a throw down the field and showing off his athleticism and his movement skills and his big arm. But you really saw, started to see him at the back half of the year play within the offense, play within the scheme, really play what Salah had called earlier in the year, boring football, right? Like, you know, basically being doing what Mike White had done, which was come in and, and run the offense, go through your progressions, not try to make plays that aren't necessarily there, right? Because the thing is, and we've talked about this, Zach Wilson is, we know he's supremely talented. We we get that. That's why he was the number two pick in the draft. But the difference between the good ones and the great ones isn't about the the talent level that they have, but which the but the consistency consistency with which they play, right? Like on a down to down basis, right? That's what makes Tom Brady so good. That's what made Drew Brees so good. Like you knew what you were gonna get from them on a down and down basis, and that's what makes Patrick Mahomes and Aaron Rodgers so good because. They have that down-to-down -down consistency, but when all hell breaks loose and you have to make a play, they can make something out of nothing. And we see that with guys like Joe Burrow and Justin Herbert. And I think Zach Wilson has that. The Jets just have to be able to put the pieces around him. I know one of the conversations you and I have been having a lot, Frank, is use Josh Allen and what the Buffalo Bills have done. Use that as the model, right? Josh Allen didn't have a great rookie year. But they went out. They they build through the off. They build the offensive line. They were able to build this defense. They're able to to get a player like Stephon Diggs and look at what Josh Allen has become. Obviously through hard work of his own, but look at what he's become after many like you and myself thought that he would be out of the league by this time. Yeah, and I kind of compare Zach Wilson's. Uh early tenure to life before Becht and life after Becht, right? Like as soon as the Jets decided to hire his personal quarterbacks coach, it kind of the light bulb kind of went off where the checks started to become easier. You're able to move Mike LaFleur up into the booth. So now he's got a bird's eye view on what the defense is trying to do, how they're trying to attack him. And he could get that broad, that broad view on how he wants to attack the defense. 
And we also have to put into account that the Jets had zero weapons when he toward the later half of the year. Elijah Moore was hurt. Corey Davis went on IR. Jameson Crowder in and out. Keelan Cole ended up getting hurt. Michael Carter got hurt. So, you know, like he's playing with practice squad players and nothing against practice squad players, but, you know, there's the reason why they're practice squad players. Yeah, I mean, it was definitely tough uh, personnel-wise, right? And I think that's what we we as fans, and I think we were kind of guilty of this as well, right? Like, we came out with such high expectations as we start seeing highlights from camp and reports and we start seeing him play preseason games and we're like, hey, this, you know, he, you know, maybe maybe the Jets can make, make a little bit of noise this year, right? But then when the bullets start flying and Elijah Moore is, you know, you're, you're expecting him to really be that guy in week one of his NFL season, that's not a reasonable expectation to really have. Right. So uh, this was a young football team. They started more rookies, the most rookies in the NFL. They started more first and second year players than any other NFL team. Uh, so next year, those first and second year players are going to be second and third year players. And I think that you use this opportunity that you have in free agency with the with the the flat well, with the cap flexibility that you have, along with the draft flexibility that you have, the assets that you have to be able to 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 complement this young roster that has all of this youth and this energy, and be able to add some experience, so you can really see what you have in a player like Zach Wilson, because. Ultimately, that's what that's what's going to make or break, you know, Joe Douglas's tenure here with the New York Jets. Right. You made the decision to move on from Sam Darnold and you made the decision you had of all the first round quarterbacks. You had your choice of four of the five of them. And this was the kid that you picked. So, you know, and, and you and, you know, Woody Johnson and company have to watch Mac Jones play in a playoff game in year one for the division rivals, right? So you're, you're you're running out of time. You've got to put the best possible product on the field to extract as much of the physical tools and the ability that Zach Wilson possesses as you possibly can. Absolutely. Coach, what have you seen that you liked and maybe disliked from Zach Wilson uh, so far in his tenure with the Jets? You know, he, he's a kid. You know, and, and he played like a rookie. And, um, you know, that's just to be expected. You know, and, and what, uh, you know, you were saying is that th this is the youngest roster, right? So it's not like, uh, you know, he was uh, and with one of the youngest coaching staffs, um, you know, and, and the Mac Jones up in the, uh, New England had a, had a good year. Well, he's surrounded by Belichick, right, uh, and, and all the folks up there. But, um I'll tell you what, I, I like his potential. And I, 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 that last game, I, I got excited. I, there were so many things in that last game I saw that, that are in the right direction. And, and I think the head coach, I think people want to play for him. Would you guys agree with that? Is that people want to play for this head coach and that he's somebody who, you know, he's a player coach, but he's also somebody who's going to hold people accountable. What do you think about that? Yeah, I, I, def, I think you could definitely uh, get that sentiment. I, I, you know, I don't think that uh, – I don't want to compare to previous coaching staffs, and I don't want to name coaching staff in particular, but you've seen guys that, you know, they come out, they make mistakes, uh, and, they you know, they, they're not getting penalized for it. But, uh, I mean, th this coaching staff seems to not have a problem uh, making an example out of somebody. I mean, Denzel Mims, for example, who, you know, he's been – uh, regardless, you know, we've seen the plethora of injuries and uh, even practice squad players that have come up and, and, and taken wide receiver snaps for the New York Jets. And so for second round receiver uh, from a year ago to not get some of those opportunities, there's got to be some tough love in there, as well as, you know, we've heard, uh, you know, we heard in the offseason, you know, uh, in the preseason, Makai Becton also received some of that tough love as well. So, I think they're definitely going to get on some players and they're, and they're not afraid uh, to give them some of that tough love. Yeah. And it's tough because you, you have the NFL, you have to win now. Right. And, and I know, 
you know, all us uh, folks who, who love the Jets, you know, it's been a while. Um, but with the situation you're in, uh, it's, it's a young team and, and it's just going to require a little patience. And uh, hopefully, you know, the, the coaches can, can get them, get them uh, rallied sooner rather than later before uh, everybody runs out of patience. I think that's going to be the key is how long does ownership have the patience and how long can they withstand the fans of, because there's going to be a large fan base that wants them to win immediately, that wants them to make that splash move like when they did and traded for Brett Favre and then then it doesn't work and you fire Mangini when you probably should have had more patience with Mangini and kept him as the head coach and have him coach those teams going forward. Yeah, it's tough. And, and you know, like like Coach said, it's it's a, a win now business. Uh, the NFL, stay, you know, like, like we like to say, not for long. Um, so you, you, once you get in, um, you know, Coach Salah's honeymoon phase is over, right? Like, you know, we gave him all the benefit of the doubt. Nobody, everybody's, you know, pointing their paying, pointing their attention really to Joe Douglas right now because he's the only guy left that we can really blame, right? Like, we don't, we, we you know, we don't have McCagney to blame. We don't have Adam Gase. We don't have Sam Darnold, right? So, uh, Zach Wilson and and Robert Sala, they're getting you know, the benefit of the doubt here. So Joe Douglas, you know, he's really has to be the, the one uh, to, to feel the brunt of, of this thing if it doesn't turn around. And the best way he can do that is uh, by adding some, some more pieces like uh, the, some of the weapons and playmakers he added in the, uh, in the NFL draft, uh, one being number eight, Elijah Moore, uh, the rookie wide receiver, along with, um, Obviously, he made the addition of Corey Davis. That one didn't um, didn't really have the impact that's you know we may have felt that it would to start the year. Um, you know the pass catching group as a whole. When you really look at it, uh, we we came into the year thinking that it was going to be this really deep group, right? When you looked at the the preseason depth chart and you're like, oh, you know Corey Davis and Elijah Moore, Jamison Crowder. Denzel Mims, Braxton Berrios, Keelan Cole. Like, this is a really good, you know, really good depth chart. And then when you get to the season and, you know, Elijah Moore uh, misses a bunch of preseason time with a quad injury. And then uh, Jamison Crowder, he misses week one. And, uh, you know, Corey Davis is uh, dealing with some issues to start the year. And it seemed like none of this this receiving core was just never really cooking at the same time, right? Like you had you had Mims or not Mims, Mims was never cooking, but you had Corey Davis who had his moments at the start of the year. Obviously, you know the Carolina game in Week One, he had the big game against Tennessee um, in Week Four, Week Five, I believe that was. Uh, so he, you know, he had his moments to start the year, and then obviously there was a Elijah Moore stretch where he was just. You know, he looks like one of the, the the best young receivers in all of football uh, for about four or five weeks in the NFL. Uh, and then, he, you know, there's no Corey Davis for that, but then he goes down. And then obviously Braxton Berrios at the end of the year, you know, he, he made a ton of plays, not only on special teams, but also as a receiver ends up making first team all pro as a, as a, as a return man there for the jets. So, I mean, there were there are players on this roster. There are players in this position group, uh, or you know, in this pass catching group. Uh, they just need to definitely add talent to that. To that, what do you think, Frank? Yeah, when when we looked when we looked early on, I remember having this conversation with DJ Bienemy when he was on before the season, and he said this is probably one of the deeper position groups that the Jets have, but. If you take Denzel Mims out because Denzel Mims couldn't get on the field because, at least from my opinion, what it looked like is that he couldn't learn the Shanahan West Coast offense, that that position group no longer becomes deep because now your next best receiver is Keelan Cole. And now you can't use Keelan Cole how you wanted to use Keelan Cole. And that's not even to mention all the injuries the Jets had. 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely tough. Uh, not the year we thought that it would it would be. Uh, I mean, Elijah Moore ends up leading uh, the team in targets and receiving yards and touchdown receptions, um, and you know, five hundred thirty-eight yards, five touchdowns. Uh, the leading receiver in terms of receptions uh, would be Jamison Crowder. Um, Actually could have been Braxton Berrios had he played week 17, which I thought would would have been just another, you know, feather in his cap when he goes to uh, enter his negotiations this offseason as a free agent. But, um, yeah, they definitely need to add another. They need a they really need a either a big play threat or a somebody that can play in the middle of the field. Right. Because if you get one of those two things it pretty much frees up Elijah Moore because Elijah Moore can do he can play outside he can be your short to intermediate receiver he can play in the slot he can do a lot of things right so if you can get a deep receiver uh, then that allows you to, to maybe move Elijah Moore around a lot or maybe you get you know a big inside presence and that allows you to keep Elijah Moore on the outside and, and be your, your your main vertical threat um, I mean not to mention on top of that they still need to add some kind of playmaker at the tight end position as well. I was just going to say that, you know, you look at, you got Schultz is going to be hitting free agency. You got Kaseki. So either one of those guys work with, you know, dare I say, you know, Allen Robinson or Calvin Ridley. Yeah. And if you look at like um, the chiefs model, where in their offense where they got the receiver who can blow the roof off, right? And then you got that big tight end to work underneath. It's absolutely devastating. And if you find that big play threat, um, all the receivers that they currently have, they're just going to get better because now they'll be getting the single coverage and they'll have to roll the the safety over to deal with uh, your, your number one now. Absolutely, and that's what makes makes an offense click is having as many weapons on the field as possible, where they the defense can't double team a particular weapon that you would have. So now you get you're getting one on one coverage, and you also, John, we can't forget about the person that had your pants all in a tizzy during the draft, Michael Carter. Yeah, I mean, we will talk about Michael Carter in just a second. And we'll, like, just to add to what you guys were talking about, you know, we really saw what this Michael LaFleur offense is at its at its core, right? You run the football with this West, you know, this West, this West Coast wide zone run scheme. But the quarterback, it's about getting the ball, distributing the football to your five eligibles. It's not just, it's not like, well, this is the Adam Gase offense where we, we operate through the slot receiver or we operate through this or through our X or our Z. This is like, no, we're going to use all five eligible receivers and our quarterback's essentially a point guard, right? Where he's just going to distribute the football. And I think when you look at it like that, getting as many playmakers, getting as many people that can make plays in space for offensive coordinator, Michael floor is, you know, of the utmost priority this off season, uh, whether it comes through the draft or free agency, uh, and some other additions that they can make uh, are to that backfield to go along with the dude who basically had my pants off on draft day, Michael Carter. Um, I mean, I it's funny. I was actually going back. I was looking, you know, at some pre-draft stuff. Um, and, you know, I, I, I had to remind myself how much in love I was with the prospect of Michael Carter. I mean, this guy was – the leader in scrimmage yards each of the last two years at the University of North Carolina, even though he was there with the higher drafted running back in Javante Williams, he gets he gets it done both as a a runner and a receiver. Um, you know he he's such a, a menace in space for defenders. I mean he, the way he he's his stop his stop start ability, his contact balance. I, I thrown this comparison out so many times. Uh, again, styles, not talent, but he reminds me of Alvin Kamara in terms of the way that you can use them as players, uh, the way that you can line them up as a receiver. He doesn't have that that receiver in him that way that Alvin Kamara does uh, when you line him up out wide and he can he can run 
the receiver route tree. He doesn't quite have that, but he can line up in the slot. Uh, be used as a mismatch on linebackers. You can use him out of the backfield as a receiver. And he's he shows so much toughness as a runner that it's hard to not want to give him the football 16 to 18 times just in the run game, uh, a, a, you know, a game. So like, I really, I really love the player. Uh, I love the scheme fit even more, right? Like this, this scheme is, is built for a player like him, you know, with his, with his speed and his agility and his vision. So, you know, I think the sky's the limit, but ultimately you're going to have to get another running back in here to not just take off the load, but, to, to be that that clock killer uh, at the end of the game, you know, you know, be that presence around the goal line, uh, you know, get that bigger body in here, somebody, you know, kind of like what you want a Mike P. Ryan to be. I was just going to say that, you know, when you talk about, you know, uh, where we were right, where we were wrong, you know, P. Ryan wasn't, was definitely not what I expected him to do. I thought he'd have more of a role. And then when you look at the X factor that we talked about before the season in Trayvon Wesco, you know, we thought maybe he could be a, a mini juice out there like Sam friends using juice check, but, but he was nowhere close to that. You know, you know, they brought in Nick Bowden and he was okay, but they, I think they need to find somebody maybe in a draft, maybe a free agency where they could, designate to that natural fullback role. Uh, what do you think about that coach? No, absolutely. Um, the foot, the fullback or the H back now is, is such an important part, especially this type of offense where you really want to, you know, displace people, but they also need to be able to go out and, and make some plays, make some catches, especially on the boot bootleg passes, which are becoming so very popular and, and a great place. Um, but yeah, th- those guys are hard to find. Uh, you're asking a guy to to do a lot of different things. You know, he's got to be able to get his nose dirty, uh, knock people on their can, and, and then go make a, a great catch and, and turn it upfield. Um, and that's that's going to be one of those guys. You maybe have to be a, a hidden gem in the draft, or or maybe you can steal one of those guys who's established away from another team. But um, and the great teams, look in the playoffs. How many teams in the playoffs right now have one of those? You know, it's uh, especially, you know, like you mentioned the 49ers, which these guys are all uh, of that tree. You know, if they, if they find that guy, I think it's going to – that's going to add a few wins right there. Yeah, I think, I you know, we we prefaced it. We didn't think – we didn't have expectations for Wesco to be used check. We knew that they're – totally different players. We just thought that he could help out and do some of those jobs. But when you look at, you know, this off season, it's, it's gotta really be like the off season back in, I think it was 2008, right. Where you are able to sign a Damian Woody. You're able to sign an Alan Fanica. You're able to sign a Calvin Pace. You're able to sign a, a Tony Richardson, right to go along and complement some really phenomenal drafts where you were able to add guys like Shaw Ferguson and Nick Mangold and Darrell Revis and David Harris. And, and now you, you, you can complement these guys and they're the jets have an opportunity here, right? Where the 2021 class, right. You, you walked out of it with six starters, Right. So when you walk out of a class with that many starters and I'm not and like, you know, we're not talking about guys that are starting because they're on the Jets. Right. We're talking about guys that are legitimate. Like when you look at those first four picks, especially. Right. I mean, Zach Wilson, obviously, he'll be a question mark for who knows how long. Right. But when you look at those first four picks to get the production that you got uh, from from those guys, the quarterback excluded. You know, you've got to be really happy about that. And then you're able to get a, two starting cornerbacks, uh, a, a starting nickel in, in Michael Carter, the second in the fifth round. And then you're able to get a starting corner in Brandon Eccles in the sixth, right? Like this is a quality class where there's an opportunity here where to use this free agency to really, to really, uh, you know, 
get this get this job done. And so when you look at, you know, like Coach said, you, I think, you know, this fullback position is a dying breed, right? There's not many, right? Like the, the college system is the farm system, right? How many colleges are running out with there with a fullback? Almost none of them. They're all in spread or in gun. And no one's really using a fullback. And so you have to steal one from an established team, I think, right? Like the Jets did with Tony Richardson all those years ago, right? They stole him from the Minnesota Vikings uh, mm-hmm. after spending years there blocking for Adrian Peterson, right? So, you know, they are two years blocking for Adrian Peterson. So they end up stealing him and bringing him over. So I think you got to make, like, can you steal, uh, you know, the guy from the Chiefs? Can you steal the guy uh, from the Patriots? Uh, can you steal, you know, uh, you know, obviously you, you can't steal use check. He, he's just signed to a, a deal recently, but can you steal some of these guys, uh, you know, that, have the potential to be free agents. No, absolutely. And then, you know, you talk about the fullback, you know, I think it starts with the offensive line when we're starting with the fullbacks, you know, you just touched on the draft. I think Vera Tucker is probably the best draft pick as so far that we had. And when you look at the offensive line, especially early in the year, you know, you, you had all these moving parts. Becton got hurt. McGovern is McGovern. You know, my feelings on McGovern. But wait, I thought your feelings on McGovern changed. So. No, he's still a terrible center. His first step is terrible. <laughs> but <laughs> but that's neither here or there. But it, it's gonna take. It always takes time with a new offensive line to gel and to work together. Yeah, no, yeah. Frank Frankie is right. Uh, so he, he's a. Uh, uh, certainly an expert on, on being a center. I can attest to that. And uh, like you said, time, time. And my God, get that damn first step down. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think when you look at the offensive line, right, I think, again, as you saw the offense get better, you saw the offensive line also get better as well. I mean, I look at the Tampa game, the fact that the way they were able to run against Tampa, which is such a dominant run defense, you know, you know, we if you watch the game against the Eagles, right? You saw you saw that as well. Um, they've been like that all year, but the Jets were able to to run for over 200 yards against them, or um, no, sorry, under 200 yards, like like a buck 50 or something like that. But they were able to run for for you know have success against against that Bucks front. That was all you know. That was scheme, and that was coaching up that offensive line to run your scheme at a high level. And so I think if they are able to get some more athletes in here, you know, Frank and I, you and I have talked about this. If they can sign, you know, take that Buffalo mold, sign three, four, five. They don't have to be high priced free agent offensive linemen. They could just be mid-level offensive linemen where you just, you just, you, you're able to, to help build up the depth because that's what we've seen, right? When you get, when you have Makai Becton go down and then you have, uh, you know, George Fant, George Fant go down, or you have Morgan Moses in and out of the lineup, or you got Connor McGovern going down, and now your your offensive line consists of some combination of Connor McDermott, Dan Feeney, Chuma Chuma uh, Chuma Adoga. Uh, what's the other dude's name? GVR Greg Van Rotten. When your offensive line consists of some combination of this, all hell is going to break loose literally for your quarterback. Yeah, and you said his name wrong. It's Greg Van Rotten, because that's how he played. Because he is one of the worst offensive linemen I've ever seen. Having him next to McGovern, like, and I think that's what really turned the Jets' run game around. Is when the Jets made that trade for Duvernay. When you brought in a a solid guard that had solid technique, you could kind of hide the def- deficiencies of a of a center that's average to below average when you're tag teaming and scoop blocking coach do you have any experience on a maybe a below center having a experienced guard next to him (laughs) no absolutely um you know it's so so much with the offensive line you know you don't necessarily have to be the great you know you don't have to go out and get these guys paying them 20 million but they got to be smart they got to be technicians and they have to be tenacious. 
You know, like uh, Frankie, when he was with us, he was, how much did you weigh? 160 pounds? You put a brick in your pants? Yeah, if I had a brick. Yeah, and we, we won't talk about the time you snapped the ball into your own ass, but that's a whole other story. But, um, you know, that that's a it's an area where you can grow, um, where, where you can have uh, players, you know, really improve. Um, but the, the, yeah, you get rid of some guys who just can't play. You know, if they're playing like a traffic cone, you know, there, there's not much even the best coach in the world can really do with that. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Um, And, you know, there's there's free aid. I mean, there are a lot of free agents uh, at the offensive line position coming up. Uh, Brandon Scherf, I think, probably highlights the position group. Um, You know, could you convince a guy like Cam Robinson to come in here and play right tackle? Right. Like, is that something that's feasible, Um, you know, or, you know, even convince one of these guys to slide in the guard? Right. But either way, I think they don't I don't think they need to spend big, big money at the at the position. I think if they just can get a few players to bring along as depth, continue to draft to build that position through the draft, um, you know, using, you know, you, you have two two top 10 pick. You have two top 10 picks, one at four, one at 10. You could use one of those player one of those picks uh, to potentially upgrade the offensive line. Uh, just give yourself, if you're the Jets, as much flexibility uh, as you can. Um, but you, but you really need to build this offensive line and this offense to the best that you can to evaluate your quarterback and Zach Wilson. Yeah, that's the main thing, right? We got to figure out what we have with Zach Wilson, and it's hard to do that when you don't have weapons around him. When everybody's dropping like flies, when in the beginning part of the year he didn't have time where he had to break the po- pocket, and I think that's what the, that was the problem with Sam. It was it was hard to see what Sam really was because he was so deficient in talent around him. Yeah, yeah, talent, totally. talent erases a lot of mistakes. <laughs> That is definitely true. Um, so with that being said, I mean, Frank, we I think we got to pay some bills, man. This isn't the longest we've ever gone without paying some bills, brother. So why don't you let the folks know uh, who's sponsoring the show? Yeah, but before that, we, well, we're a little, little different today. Uh, Coach, why don't, you just wrote a book. So why don't you tell us uh, the name of the book and what inspired you to write the book? Yeah, sure. My uh, new book is out. It's called uh, How to Beat Stalin, Hitler, and the Southern State Parkway. And uh, it's on Amazon or uh, Google or all the Barnes & Noble and all that. And basically, it's a motivational book. Um, And I wrote it um, based, we were stuck in the pandemic. And I saw a lot of people getting uh, upset and depressed and going through some hard times. And I thought, you know, maybe um, this could be my way to, to try to help. And it's about my family's history. And it's about how uh, my mother, when I was a youth, you know, um, we had a lot of midnight chats. And uh, when I was a kid, I was, you know, on the verge of suicide. And the book is how she helped me turn my life around, how she pushed me towards football and how all the great coaches and men I came across on that field uh, really saved my life. And, uh, you know, this sport, you know, it's it's a lot of fun. And, and listening to you guys talk about the Jets and your passion is excellent. Um, and I enjoy, you know, all that aspects of the game. But what's – why we really play is to to take care of each other. And it's that camaraderie, that's that family, uh, it's being brothers, brothers forever. Um, it saves lives. And uh, it's it's why I've always loved coaching. It's why I'm always going to keep coaching uh, as long as they let me. <laughs> and, um, you know, that's the ultimate message of the book is that we're all in this together. Uh, we got to take care of each other. We got to love each other. And uh, that's what football is, man. If you do it right, like you guys were talking about chemistry with the line, you know, it's not only brings you to success on the field, but, but in every, every aspect of your life. 
Yeah, I think that's the, and I think John will attest, right? That's, that's the reason why we all played, right? It was the camaraderie, the bond, you know, the, the, the Friday nights, the feeling that you get before you walk out onto a football field. And, you know, sometimes when you're so far removed from playing or, or coaching, you, you kind of forget about that feeling, but that, that's the key component that I think brings us, brings us all back is that the love that we have for the game and the love that we have for each other. Yeah, no, totally, man. I mean, the, I've, I, th I think the three, all three of us can say that like we've learned some of our greatest life lessons from football, right? Like problem solving, how to, how to play, how, you know, how to get along with teammates, um, you know, how, even if you don't get along with teammates, if you have a disagreement, how you handle that. Um, but ultimately doing your job at the highest, at your highest ability, your highest capability, because the person to your left or to your right or behind you or in front of you is depending on you to do your job. Uh, you know, depending on you, you know, if you got to be in the A gap, you, you know, we're depending on you to be in the A gap. Right. So, you, you know, it's, it's, there's so many lessons and I'm sure you can get them from so many sports, but none of them is not many of them as physically taxing and mentally taxing uh, as, as football could be. So coach, I mean, Testament, testament to you for, for, you know, realize, seeing a gap and, and wanting to help and, and writing that book and, um, you know, leaning, you know, showing your experiences, using your experiences as, uh, as a, as a, a vehicle to help other steer others towards, you know, a, a path where they may, they might've thought that something, uh, you know, that things weren't maybe working out so well for them. And, 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 and now maybe they can see that through. So definitely, um, ask you, Hey, you know, go check out the book, you know, go, go, go order it on Amazon and, uh, support coach Boris. No, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. And to not change directions completely, but to stay in the same lines, cause this is a football podcast this is a New York Jets podcast. And we have seen Jets coaches in the before, where fans say they choke in your experience, what, what is choking as a head coach when you're calling plays on offense and or defense? No, it's, uh, it's funny, you know, everybody wants to be in that position, right? Hey, I want to call the game. Oh, this, this coach, he doesn't know what the hell he's talking about, right? How many times have you said that? Um, God knows people said it about me on my, on the high school level. And, uh, I remember the first first time I called plays, it was the first game, and it was the first fourth and one, you know, and I just went, oh, you know, you just freeze up. And, uh, you know, there wasn't anybody in the stands. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's a uh, high school game. But it's still something that, that can be absolutely terrifying. You know, what do I do? And you've got – and the clock is ticking. And there's not really many other situations in life that are like that, right, where there's all this pressure and, you, and, the, and, the, and you're on the clock. And what you call is going to impact the entire game and, you know, change the course of history here. Um, so, so what a lot of coaches try to do is take the thinking out of it, you know, where, and that kind of leads you to that scenario. Remember that famous Super Bowl where they didn't give it to Marshawn Lynch on the goal line, you know, um, where they, you know, Pete Carroll and all those guys said, okay, what if, what if we get in this situation, what are we going to call? to take thought process out of it, you know, so they, they, they practiced that for months, if not weeks, you know, or years. Um, but of course they threw the pass. And as we all know, was that, was that probably one of the worst calls in human history? Um, but, but they were prepared for that, you know, and, and that's what drives you nuts as a coach. So if you go with your gut or do you go with the stats, right? Do you go with your preparation? Um, and ultimately it comes down to are, are the guys going to execute? You know, that, that can make the coach look like a, a genius more times than not, is if uh, the people execute. But it's, uh, you know, it's something you prepare for. It's something you, you think about. But uh, when, the, when the heat of the moment strikes, it can be, uh, it can be paralyzing. And uh, 
you know, it gets better with experience. It gets better with preparation. But, you know, it's a hell of a position to be in. Yeah, I can only imagine. And have so was that one of the few times that you you choked was uh, that that first game? Oh, you know, uh, some people say I choked every game, but uh... <laughs> <laughs> I would say those people are wrong. <laughs> no, it's tough. Um, you know, I'll do the opposite of it. Like one time, it was in the t- one championship game. You know, we knew the team was going to do a rollout pass on third and whatever, and we had our two best players in the state blitz and they hit the quarterback in the backfield, but they somehow somehow broke free and ran 40 yards for the game winning touchdown, you know? So um, that coach looks like a genius now. Right. Um, and it's just because the two of the best players, they just had a bad play. Um, and, you know, yeah, there, there have been some definite calls I want back um, over the career, but um you know, it's just, you just got to learn from it and move on. Um, and uh, it, it's something that you, you just keep trying to overcome. But, you know, uh, the kids and, and great players and, and, and things of that nature make, make you always look a lot smarter than you actually are. Yeah, I think it, it resonates to, to life in general. You know, you, you talk about the, the great football movies that are out there. Um, any given Sunday, Al Pacino's speech about the inches around us dictate how how our life is going to go. I think you know, an inch here, an inch there. You know, those guys probably make the tackle, and you probably win a you know a final title. And how that course could have altered whatever, whatever for you, you know. And it's funny. It's like every coach you know has spent. God knows how many hours preparing for that moment. You know, I remember being up, you know, two, three in the morning, you know, so imagine what a pro coach is doing and, you know, and then they get in the game and it doesn't work out and everybody in the world's looking at them and saying, Oh my God, what is with this idiot? You know, um, I remember watching last week, uh, the 49er game and Garoppolo went for the quarterback sneak to, to get the first down and basically iced the game, but they shifted a tackle uh, and the tackle didn't reset in time. And they got uh, offsides and they wound up, you know, giving the ball back to Dallas one more time. And Dallas, you know, being Dallas, shot themselves in the foot, but that's a whole other story. But, you know, just little things like shifting that tackle. You know, they were trying to be smart. They were trying to get the defense out of position, maybe jump offsides. But they outsmarted themselves, you know, and Shanahan's one of the best coaches in the league. Right. But there that little, and, and Garofalo is pretty good. He's an experienced quarterback. He didn't wait for the guy to get reset, you know, and, and it's like, like you said, inches, you know, um, or if you just line up and say without a shift, without being fancy and you get stuffed, Oh, they just ran the quarterback sneak, you know, and that, that was stupid, you know? So it's, um, you, you, it's, a, it's a hell of a situation to be in. That's why I don't like to criticize coaches on TV anymore. <laughs> yeah, I kind of yeah. feel the same way with officials. Yeah. You know, the officials, my goodness, poor officials. You know, we always hate officials, right? But that that's one of the hardest jobs in the world. And it's probably the most thankless. Uh, after the game, nobody's ever carrying the officials off on their shoulders. But uh, good luck having a game without the officials. I know people are going to Hey, you know, punch me in the face now for, yeah. for being nice to the officials, especially after I've screamed at one or two over the years. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I remember a story when I was playing, and a bunch of our listeners will find this very entertaining because uh, this former Jet player that you played against is kind of looked at as like one of the gods in Jet lore. Can you uh, tell the audience why you hate Wayne Corbett so much? Oh, my God. Wayne Krebet. Um When I was playing at Fordham, we'd always have to play Hofstra uh, every year. And people don't know Hofstra used to have a great, great football program. God knows why they let that uh, go. But we had Hofstra beat one year. And we were winning by about 14 points. And we, we weren't a good team back then. Hofstra was. And this was going to be the upset of the 
of the season, you know, was going to change our lives. And then Wayne Corbett got involved. And it was third and 20, and they hit him with a little zero-yard screen just to get a couple yards and punt, and he went 80 yards for a touchdown. And then the onslaught just came, and Wayne Corbett broke our hearts. And uh, it was also that same night, coincidentally, where I was sitting on the bench and uh, in the stands behind me, I heard my friend's mom screaming, hey, which one's Steven? She wanted to come see me and see which one I was. And uh, my friend points, points me out, and she's like, that guy can't be Steven. That kid's bald. And that was also the same night I realized I had lost my hair. Um, Ooh, that's got to be rough. So that was the double whammy. So I always associate learning I lost my hair with, with Wayne Corbett. And then I had to watch Wayne on TV every every Sunday for 10 years, doing great. And every time he'd get a catch, I'd realize, I'd remember that loss. And I remember that was the day I found out I, I was going bald. It was a double uh, double trauma to me right there. That's funny. But uh, didn't you have a cup of coffee with a couple teams from the NFL? I got invited to the Giants. And they, they kindly, you know, I did the height and weight test, and they said I flunked the height and weight test. And uh, I, I did get to, to take a shower with them afterwards, so that was exciting. And they gave me a, a, a nice sandwich and a, and a big chocolate chip cookie. Uh, those are always good. But uh, let's get into these uh, divisional games. So uh, this segment's going to be brought to you guys by DraftKings. We're on to divisional round of the playoffs, and DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, is celebrating with huge odds boosts for new customers. Counting down to Super Bowl 56, new customers can get 56 to 1 odds on any team. Bet just $5 and get 280 in free bets if your team wins. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, you can still get in on the action of the divisional round. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Football Contest. DraftKings is giving all new customers free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TPPN and get 56 to 1 odds on any NFL team. Bet just $5 and win 280 in free bets. If your team wins, that's promo code TPPN. For 56 to 1 odds at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, must be 21 years or older, New Jersey, New York, Indiana, Pennsylvania only, new customers only, minimum $5 deposit, $1 wager required, one per customer, restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. So, Coach, uh, the first game of the weekend is going to be Saturday at 4.30. Cincinnati against Tennessee. Tennessee is giving three and a half. What do we think about that? That's going to be tough. Uh, Tennessee's got their running back, right? He's back? Yeah, Derrick Henry is back. I mean, my goodness. Um, they're, they're, they're tough without him. They're, they're going to be a, a, a real bear with him. Um, but, you know, uh, you can never count Joe Burrow out. You know, he, he's an emerging star. And, uh, you know, he's always got a, uh, a puncher's chance there. So uh, I'm going to have to go with Tennessee, though. Yeah, I for me, you know, they, I, think, I think Cincinnati's defense is just better. And I think Derrick Henry's been out for a little while. I think he might be a little rusty. And that connection that Joe Burrow – has with his receivers I just think is something special and I don't think Ryan Tannehill has the capability if it's a shootout to go one-on-one -on -one with Joe Burrow I'd agree in that case if it's a shootout yeah advantage Burrow absolutely so the late game and that is going to be Sam Fran against Green Bay Green Bay is giving five and a half yeah, that's a, that's a lot to give. Um, you know, Green Bay certainly uh, the top team for a reason. Um, Rodgers, you know, is going to backflip into the uh, the Hall of Fame, and uh, you know he he's big edge there over Garoppolo. I mean, there's there's no question about it. But uh, I want to see if uh, Bosa can get back. 
you know, I think if he's out, then I think definitely Green Bay, you know, if they get um, – if their defense is can play up to its potential, then, uh, you know, you don't want to count Sam Fran out, but I got to go with Green Bay in this case. Yeah, I'd go the same. It's just a court. The NFL is a quarterback league, and Aaron Rodgers is head over like ten times better than Jimmy Garoppolo. And you know, you count that you have Devontae Adams as Rodgers' number one receiver, and Sam Fran doesn't have that caliber of offense yet. So, like you said, if if Bosa's not playing, he's not. They have no shot. And if Bosa does play, I think the shot is minimal. Yeah, I, I agree. Sunday, we got L.A. against Tampa. Tampa's given three points. Oh, my goodness. What am I, what am I going to do here? Um, you know, we, we can't root. We have to root against Tom Brady, right? Always. Always root I, I against mean, Tom Brady. I mean, it's just <laughs> – uh, this this is terrible. Um, yeah, I I I don't want to. I'm going to go the other way. And uh, you know, they're they're up and coming. They're they're rising. I think this is this their year, right? They they they've bet the farm, and uh, I got to go with them with uh, L.A. Yeah, same for me. I just think they brought, <laughs> they brought in Odell. They brought in Matt Stafford, so they have a legitimate quarterback now. They they traded for Von Miller, so you got Von Miller and Aaron Donald. That defense is is scary. And what always have given Brady trouble is that pressure right up, right up the middle, right up the either side of the A gap or either side of the B gap. And that's what Aaron Donald is normally does. So if they can't stop Aaron Donald, I don't really see a way that. Brady's going to be able to distribute the ball like, like he wants to. And he's lost too many weapons. Yeah, A, A B in particular, yep. Antonio Brown. God bless him. <laughs> That's so. I think this the last game on of the weekend is probably going to be the best game of maybe the playoffs, in my opinion. You got the Buffalo Bills traveling to Kansas City and Kansas City is only giving two points and that's usually the spread for a home game so what are your thoughts on that Kansas City um giving giving two points yeah yeah um I, I think this might not be the best version of the, of the Kansas City team you know for some reason they just haven't been clicking as, as they used to all year but, uh, you know, by looking at them last week, I, th- I think they've finally come together at the right time. And, uh, you know, they, th- they threw that one uh, touchdown pass, got called back, and then they come back and throw it to the tackle the next play. That was you nice. Know, I mean, it's, that was, you know, it's, and then they're just, they're just toying with people. Um, so I, I think, yeah, it's got to be Kansas City. I, I got to disagree. The way that Buffalo dismantled that New England Patriots defense was something to behold, especially when you talk about that weather. I think it was like a minus six degree wind chill up in Buffalo right. last last Saturday, and the way that they just dominated a, a top ten defense like that. So I think it's going to be close. I could see it being – Less than a field goal. And I think Josh Allen and the Bills are the only team that are going to be able to go shot for shot with Kansas City if it's if it's a shootout. No, I would agree with that. Um, you know, Buff- Buffalo had a, a game for the ages last week, uh, to be sure. And uh, if anybody can beat the Chiefs, it, it's the Bills. Sure. Yeah. So it's going to be interesting to see. But uh, Coach – before we uh, head off, why don't you tell everybody again the name of your book, where where they can find it, and all that good stuff. Sure. The name of the book, again, is How to Beat Stalin, Hitler, and the Southern State Parkway. You can find it on Amazon or uh, Barnes & Noble or, or Apple Play or all that good stuff. 
Um, it's not just about uh, football. It's about history, too. That'll, that'll help explain the title there a little bit. But it's um, uh, a story, you know, if you're, if you're down in the dumps and, and need a, a pick-me-up, uh, it could be, be a good story for you. So, so please check it out. Yeah, I'm going to put that on my the, – the link to your Amazon on my Twitter, Facebook, all, all, our, all our socials because um, a bunch of those stories that I was told, you know, growing up playing for you changed the trajectory of my life. And the, the book is absolutely phenomenal. So thank you, Coach, for uh, helping – I can't even tell you how many people. Well, thank you. It's, it's, uh, I really appreciate that. And, uh, you know, um, I'm very proud of you and just seeing you doing this and, and all the other great things you do in your life. It's, uh, it's what it's all about. Right. And then, uh, and you're going to help that next generation grow up too. keep yeah. passing it on. Absolutely. I appreciate you coming on and helping us break down the jets and getting your book out there. And I will uh, talk to you real soon. All right. Take care. Good bus. God bless. God bless.